Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have David Schenker, a senior fellow at the Washington Institute and former Assistant Secretary of State for Near East Affairs in 2019 to 2021, join us to discuss how important is Jordan. Mr. Schenker will be speaking for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. David Schenker. Thanks. It's good to be with the Middle East Forum today. Um, so I was asked to talk a little bit about uh, Jordan, um, about stability, about threats to stability, about the importance of a stable Jordan uh, for Israel and for the United States. Um, so uh, what um, I'm going to do is start off with talking about the, the recent uh, so-called coup attempt, which uh, to my mind really wasn't a coup attempt. Um, you had a family member, um, Hamza bin Hussein, the son of the late uh, King Hussein, um, who had not uh, entirely accepted uh, the 1999 or decision by, uh, by King Abdullah uh, to remove him as crown prince of the country. Um, you'll recall at the time uh, the, of the uh, succession to King Hussein, uh, King Abdullah, um, it was uh, installed uh, as his crown prince, uh, Hamza, in the transition. Um, uh, subsequently, uh, King Abdullah chose to remove uh, Hamza from that line of succession, replace him with his son, Hussein. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Hamza had uh, aspirations. Uh, same, a similar thing happened uh, to Hassan, the brother of King Hussein, who uh, had been crown prince for decades and uh, was removed uh, by Hussein right before he passed away. Um, Hussein, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Hassan, uh, King Hussein's brother, ultimately uh, accepted um, his uh, demotion. Um, but Hamza was not pleased with it, apparently. And um, so um, uh, he was not necessarily conspiring against the king, as far as I can tell, but um, uh, no doubt was talking with members of, of tribes. And uh, uh, there were some family discrepancies and uh, the dirty laundry that was aired publicly. So um, obviously uh, this is something that the king uh, would not want to tolerate, uh, nor would his son, the Crown Prince Hussein. And so they took steps. Um, it's unclear uh, whether there was a, a foreign role here. Uh, uh, the Jordanian government has said uh, that uh, uh, alternatively that there was, and then there wasn't a foreign role here. Um, but there had been other people arrested, including Basim Awadala, who was one of the King Abdullah's advisors. Um, he remains, I think, uh, in detention in Jordan, but he had been a, uh, an economic advisor and posted uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, so um, I think uh, you, uh, this issue is not finished entirely, um, but um, I think that um, there is no threat um, to, uh, to uh, the king's position. Um, uh, there's not uh, going to be a military coup in the, in the country. Um, that said, there, there are challenges, and I think serious challenges to stability in the kingdom. And these primarily concern uh, economics. Uh, the economy of Jordan is not good. Uh, in fact, it's terrible. Uh, I think they lost 140,000 jobs in 2002. They have an overall 
uh, unemployment rate of 25%. Uh, youth unemployment is now apparently up to 48%. Um, they have a workforce of something like um, uh, 2.6 million out of a, a country of 10 million, um, just by way of comparison. Um, Lebanon has a population of uh, almost 7 million and has um, a, a workforce uh, size of 2.3 million. Um, not many people work in Jordan. Certainly women don't work, um, but even if they wanted to work, um, they couldn't because there are no jobs. Uh, the economy has contracted by 5%. Uh, last year, uh, tourism, which previously amounted to something like uh, almost $6 billion of the $43 billion economy, um, that is down, according to the Jordan government, by something like 48% uh, in two months, the last two months. Um, remittances, another major source of income and revenue for the country. Uh, they used to be, uh, well, uh, something like $3.7 billion a year. Um, they're down to less than three now because, of course, with COVID, uh, people aren't employed next door in the Gulf uh, like they were. Um, anyway, they have, um, uh, there's something like 53% of Jordanians who are vulnerable to food insecurity. Uh, Tefila in the heartland of tribal Jordan, uh, supporters of the king uh, traditionally. 20% um, of Tefila, this government, uh, report um, food insecurity in their household, 20% of households. Um, and then, of course, uh, just overall in Jordan, some 28% of households report that their children have gone to bed uh, hungry during, uh, during the COVID lockdown. Um, so this is a challenge. Uh, Jordan has a Chinese debt trap in Adarat. They have a power plant that for um, oil shale. Uh, that was built at a time of uh, greater energy insecurity. Uh, now that prices are low uh, and there is high supply and natural gas, et cetera, coming from Israel, uh, this plant is costing Jordan something like $300 million a year. Um, it will cost even more um, uh, for them. That's, that, that's a deficit um, when, when they start running it. And uh, this is a country with a, a relatively small um, overall budget. Um, they have uh, an annual budget of something like $11 billion a year. Um, I think in, in, uh, government revenue was something like $10 billion, they say, in 19, 2019. Um, but this year, they're going to run uh, almost a $3 billion deficit. And that's after, uh, that's in their recurrent budget, that's after uh, the billions of dollars of international assistance that flows into Jordan. Um, uh, including something like $1.7 billion a year from the United States. Um, so the situation is just uh, not good. And you've seen uh, lately a number of protests surrounding the economy and the handling of COVID most recently uh, in Salt, where the king had to go to, uh, to talk to demonstrators because they ran out of oxygen um, in one of these hospitals and uh, a dozen or more people uh, died. Um, so it's not it's not pretty, and of course this economic uh, privation not only um, results in protests, but it also results in uh, disaffected youth. Um, perhaps makes um, youth more vulnerable to uh, recruitment into uh, violent extremist groups, terrorist organizations, Islamist groups, etc. Um, so uh, the 
problem for stability in Jordan is really uh, an internal matter um, that's related uh, certainly to the economy, I think primarily to the economy. Now, but that does not mean uh, the kingdom is uh, unstable. Uh, it does not mean uh, King Abdullah and the Hashemites are going anywhere. Um, they're increasingly uh, important to uh, Israel and the United States. Um, and I'll tell you why. I mean, uh, let me just give you a few minutes of background. Uh, Israel and Jordan have had a very difficult time of it in recent years. Um, and I can go through all the reasons, whether it's Israel agreeing to a, uh, an economic water project uh, in the South called the Red Dead, uh, and then deciding a, a year or two in, after the agreement that they didn't want to proceed with it. Uh, Jordan losing confidence in Israel because of that. There was uh, an incident at a bridge where a Jordanian Palestinian judge was killed entering into the West Bank. Um, it happened that the, uh, the video camera, um, uh, surveillance camera at the border post wasn't working that day. Um, and then, uh, and the stories vary differently. And then, of course, there was the, the terrorist attack at the, the Jordanian, the U.S. embassy, sorry, the Israeli embassy uh, in Amman, uh, where a security guard had, had killed, I believe, uh, two innocent people in addition to the, the, the would-be terrorist. Um, and uh, the way that was handled in the aftermath was uh, a point of contention between the Israelis and the Jordanians. More recently, of course, you had this issue with um, the, the Crown Prince Hussein trying to cross into Israel um, to, uh, to visit the Temple Mount for uh, a, a significant Muslim holiday and was denied entrance. And I think they had reached an agreement before about how many security guards in any event in the aftermath, uh, you'll recall that Bibi wanted to fly to the UAE and Jordan denied uh, the Israeli prime minister flight clearance over flight clearance um, to fly over Jordan en route to the UAE. Um, so there's some stresses in that relationship. Um, nevertheless, um, Jordan is, as you know, uh, Israel's longest border. Um, and it uh, there is a peace treaty with the Hashemites uh, and with the Jordanian government. Um, and this has been enduring since 1994. Um, within the nature of that agreement, Wadi um, Arva, there is a provision uh, that provides for Jordan a special role in Jerusalem. Um, and that is important to the Jordanians because part of their legitimacy in Jordan uh, is uh, their, uh, their direct uh, traceable uh, lineage to the Prophet Muhammad and their former role in the Hejaz as the guardians of the holy spots. Um, so um, this is a positive. I think Israel has traditionally viewed it as a positive, um, and I should hope that um, continues. Um, uh, likewise, um, it's important to the United States uh, that, uh, that Jordan perseveres, notwithstanding uh, the Abraham Accords, which has widened, um, uh, broadened the number of, of peace partners for Israel in the region to include Bahrain, the Emirates, Sudan, and Morocco. Um, it's important because, uh, and I would refer you to actually a speech um, given, I believe, in April uh, 2021 uh, by General uh, McKenzie, the head of CENTCOM. Um, and he talked about U.S. force posture. Um, and he listed three priorities for the, for the United States and the region. Um, one of them being um, Iran, the other being counter ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the third one being pushing back on China. But he said in that context, and particularly in the context of Iran, 
He said, and I'm quoting here, the United States is pursuing opportunities to enhance expeditionary basing in less vulnerable positions in the CENTCOM AOR. Um, now, what does he mean by that? Um, we have bases in Qatar, we have um, Al Udaid, we have bases in the Emirates, uh, we have uh, some military basing in Saudi Arabia. Um, but as we've seen um, after the January 8 missile attack, the highly accurate missile attack by the Iranians uh, against Ain al Assad and, uh, and Erbil, uh, where US military was present uh, in the uh, counter ISIS campaign in Iraq, um, that these missiles are highly accurate and arrive very quickly. And light attack cruise missiles are very difficult to shoot down. And so, in a way, um, what General McKenzie was talking about was uh, the so-called Western Basing Initiative, where we actually move troops a little bit further away and move assets a little bit further away from Iran. Um, we are still close enough where we can reach out if necessary, uh, but our, uh, our troops and our assets will be safer if we're a little further away. And what they're talking about here, um, as a critical node, is Jordan. Um, and Jordan has always been an excellent um, partner for the United States and the US military in that regard. Um, just one final um, word before I, before I stop. Um, stability, you know, there's, um, uh, there had been uh, periodically resurfaces this argument that Jordan is Palestine. Um, I'm not a subscriber to that. Jordan is 60%. Um, um, ethnically, perhaps Palestinian. We don't know the exact number, a large number of Palestinians there. Um, but the government, uh, the palace, um, the people who make the decisions there um, um, are, uh, uh, are uh, committed to Wadi Arava. They're committed to their relationship with the United States. Um, and this provides security for Israel. Now, just imagine that it wasn't the Hashemites. Um, who were sitting in the in Amman and, uh, and ruling Jordan? Just say that it was the Palestinians. You'd have a an irredentist state, um, uh, Palestinian state, uh, but with a long border with Israel, that perhaps could be ruled by Hamas. Um, this, I don't think, is in anybody's interest. Uh, it would look perhaps like another uh, another Lebanon on Israel's border, um, and uh, so. I, I think we shouldn't be thinking in terms of Jordan as Palestine. I think we have uh, a solid partner um, in King Abdullah, uh, the Hashemite family, and uh, a great, uh, great asset of stability for not only the United States, but for Israel. Um, finally, the Abraham Accords. Um, while uh, there are an increasing number of peace partners out there, uh, this not anyway does not diminish um, Jordan's position. Uh, the level of intelligence sharing, uh, strategic cooperation between Israel and Jordan uh, is very far advanced um, and uh, is of critical importance um, to both Israel and uh, U.S. interests in the region. Um, so Jordan's value doesn't diminish because Israel has now relations, strategic relations, perhaps uh, advancing strategic relationship with the Emirates. Um, these are all complementary, and uh, the more states that Israel has these type of advanced strategic intelligence sharing relationships with, the safer Israel will be, uh, and uh, the better U.S. interests in the region will be served. So I'm going to leave it 
at that, and I'm happy to, to take your questions. So thank you. All right, thank you so much. So on your last point, we've been talking over the past few months about the warm piece versus the cold piece, or cool piece uh, from the 1994 versus the most recent one. Is there a way that Jordan and Israel could achieve that warm piece that we're seeing with the UAE? Like there can, I mean, there's some, you know, there's uh, some some bad blood between a number of these pal Palestinians in the, in the kingdom, no doubt, um, and Israel. Um, but we've seen um, areas of cooperation that have been outstanding um, beyond, um, you know, even the, the military cooperation, which, you know, I'm going to put aside for a minute. Um, on the people-to-people -people level, you have hundreds of Jordanians going into Israel every day in, uh, from Aqaba to Elon to work in hotels. They're being provided COVID vaccines, and these people are being paid at salaries that you know, far exceed what they would make in the kingdom. Um, I actually, years ago, I was in Jordan and I took a cab somewhere in Amman and I met somebody who said that he had lived in Aqaba and had done this and said it was this wonderful experience. He made a lot of money and uh, it was great. Um, of course, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the gas deal, I think is very beneficial to the kingdom. Um, we had a little hiccup in the the water trade, you know, exchanges. You know, Israel typically provides more than they're obligated to to Jordan. Um, that got held up after Netanyahu's flight got got canceled over uh, over over Jordan. Um, but still, um, I think you know if these areas can be expanded. Um, you know, trade, um, you know, they had these QIZs that were successful for a while. Jordan has a free trade agreement. Uh, they're not so important. Plus, you know, there are imported laborers, but they could, uh, in Egypt, you know, the QIZs employ huge numbers of Egyptians and employment is a key issue for Jordanians. So there, there are um, areas, there are, um, there, there's an, an economic zone they're trying to set up uh, called the, the Jordan Gateway. Um, which uh, is on a piece of the Jordanian land and, um, and Israeli territory, and they built a bridge, and it would be like an economic free zone. I think these things are going to employ people, and people will see the real tangible benefits of peace. Um, and hopefully, uh, Israeli tourists can return. Maybe Jordanian tourists will start to go to, to Israel now that the Emiratis are, etc. And um, uh, Maybe I'm just uh, being too optimistic here, but uh, I see potential. Wonderful, thank you. So you talked about uh, water. So water is going to be a very scarce resource resource in the near future. Does Israel and Jordan have an agreement to share the Jordan River water? Um, well, it's not the Jordan River water. Um, so there are, um, I think, uh, agreements within Wadi Arava about how much water has to be goes to Jordan and how much um, of the resource goes to Israel. Um, but um, actually, you know, Israel's got an enormous reservoir in uh, the Canaret. Um, they also have, you know, advanced desal capabilities. Now, Jordan's only, you know, ability to get water. They have a, a huge aquifer, which is, you know, being lowered by the day because it's just being tapped too much. And Jordan, of course, depends on agriculture and they grow things like bananas, which use a lot of water. Um, but um, Israel has provided, and particularly in years where the waters has been, uh, the rain levels have been, been high, has provided uh, you know, hundred uh, millions of cubic meters more um, than they had to. Um, and I think this has been actually another productive area of cooperation. Um, you know, it's not how much, 
water, you know, water is you know, fungible, right? Israel can get it from desal. Um, they want to have a reservoir. At the same time, they can release. And um, I, I think it's worked pretty well so far. Wonderful. Thank you. So how can Jordan continue to exist as a country with such a poor economy and with the Hashemite dynasty consisting of a small minority of the population? Well, uh, yeah, Jordan has been a debtor nation since 1943, um, but it has um, you know, really, um, uh, I think, uh, valuable real estate. You know, it's all geography. And so they have been able to essentially charge rents. All right, um, uh, you know, people are provide um, a lot of, um, countries provide a lot of largesse donations to the kingdom uh, to help sustain it. Um, we tried to do a lot of development assistance with Jordan to try and put them on a better footing um, and to work on um, you know, getting Jordanians employed um, to mixed success, really. Um, you know, we've- I'm sorry. Yeah, is everybody gone or are they still there? I'm sorry. Well, we still have quite a few viewers. They can't wait to hear what you have to say on this. Okay, what, what did I miss? Where am I? Uh, we were talking about the economic situation in Jordan. Um, what was the question? About how it could survive? I think is yes. what I broke. Yeah, I said it's been unsustainable since uh, 1943. And yet, uh, you know, the, the kingdom's geography has enabled it to charge rent. Um, and there have been uh, just significant donations that used to come from the Gulf. Now it comes from Europe, primarily from the United States um, and other countries. And we'll see, um, you know, sometimes that has benefited them. The Gulf came through with a $5 billion in project aid a couple of years ago. Uh, Jordan would like to see more. Um, and we'll see, you know, we'll see uh, how it goes. But um, I think countries have stepped up. So in your opinion, can anything more be done by the West or neighboring oil rich Gulf states to improve Jordanian economic situation? Absolutely. I think they can invest more in the kingdom. I think they can uh, to employ, you know, to the extent possible, um, Jordanian laborers who can't find uh, work in the kingdom. And these are, you know, majority middle, you know, middle class accountants, doctors, you know, lawyers, et cetera. Um, you know, there's a, a problem, though, with this trend, uh, which is that Saudi has this vision 2030, um, which talks about Saudi-izing uh, the labor force, and which means bringing in less people to do these, you know, uh, uh, highly skilled jobs, that they can do that and farm them out to their own, own population and improve their own economy. That's going to be a challenge. They can invest um, in project aid in Jordan. Uh, put people to work. This has happened in the past. Uh, I think that would be beneficial. Uh, there is, I think, uh, you know, two problems that are perhaps cultural in Jordan. Um, you know, one is um, that women are, uh, more women go to college than any other people in the kingdom, um, you know, than men. Um, very high percentage of graduates, highly talented and extremely low uh, workforce participation of women in the kingdom. Um, so you're losing out on uh, some of the most talented people in the kingdom in terms of innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, secondly, um, you know, the leading employer in Jordan remains to this day the state. Uh, I don't know if it's 45, 47% of the people are hired by the state. Now that's down from 
60% in King Hussein's days, um, you know, working for the state. But, um, you know, these people, many of them, uh, particularly tribal origin, um, don't really want to work in private companies, right? You would rather take, you know, a quarter of the pay and be on the poverty line working for the government where you don't have to go to work, you don't get paid very much, but you're employed for life um, than working for a company where you can do, you know, quite well. Um, and so there's a, a predisposition of people um, from certain quarters of the population who don't want to work for anybody other than the government. Um, so that's something that has to be has to be changed too. Understood. So we have a question in from Len. Most Arab countries seem to be against U.S. renewing the Iran deal. Is Jordan for or against the U.S. renewing this? Uh, well, Jordan hasn't come out. Um, and said anything. Of course, Jordan um, is among the states that is concerned with the fact that uh, the JCPOA or, or a deal with Iran will provide Iran necessarily with uh, huge access to cash, um, will you know, take off all the sanctions um, and cash flush. Uh, what the Iranians typically do is fund even more their regional militia, whether they be Iraqi, Hashid, um, uh, the Houthis in Yemen, uh, their, uh, the Fatimun or other Iranian-backed militia in Syria, and of course Hezbollah. And that's a concern uh, to Jordan, as well as uh, the increasingly advanced ballistic missile technology uh, and UAV technology being provided to Iran's allies in the region. Now, Jordan, I believe, would like to see that, along with Saudi Arabia, UAE, et cetera, any agreement with Iran take into account these other elements uh, that the that JCPOA, the nuclear deal, it's a threat, existential threat to every state that is what you know Western oriented in the region, um, particularly Israel, but you know also states like Jordan, et cetera. Um, but they'd like it to be to be widened, and I think are concerned that like last time um, when the, the JCPOA was uh, signed by the Obama administration that um, what was done was that um, these militia were never held to account for any of their activities because these sanctions could not, more sanctions for terrorism, for weapons proliferation, um, wouldn't be level, leveled by uh, the Obama administration on the Iranians because they feared that it would shake the foundations of the JCPOA. And so basically the Iranians got a free pass, carte blanche in the region under the JCPOA. Um, they don't want to see that again. Um, so I think they are concerned about it, um, but they've not come out and, and vocalized it yet. Well, if you don't mind, if we go a few minutes over so we can get a few more questions in. Sure. All right, wonderful. So in the, uh, this question in, is from David Levine. In the past, Mossad alerted the royal family regarding impending coup attempts. Are the Israeli security services still vital to keeping the Jordanian monarchy on the front throne? Oh. I think the cooperation is uh, very helpful uh, between the, the GID and between the Mossad. I think there are good working relationships, um, professional relationships, and uh, deep level of cooperation, not only with the, between the intelligence services, but also between you know, military to military. Um, and I think that the, you know, these are deep and enduring, and it's not like you know with the Egyptians, for example, where the, the ties with Israeli work, you know, uh, officials or, or military officers or whatever are only at the highest levels, sort of the tip of the spear. I think these go down several le uh, levels. Um, I don't think that is what is keeping the king in power. 
<laughs> um, I'll be clear about that. Um, I think the king has, um, uh, the kingdom has, you know, uh, fantastic uh, intelligence. They have a loyal military. And I think people in the kingdom by and large, while they um, are not pleased with the status, the shape of the economy, I think they realize um, that they have stability, which counts for an awful lot when you look around the region. Thank you. What is the likelihood of a change of leadership in Jordan, perhaps similar to what took place in Iran, uh, which most experts didn't expect at the time? Yeah, a lot of people talk about black swans and, you know, whether there's going to be something that is totally unexpected. Um, Khomeini um, after the Shah. Um, uh, listen, I, I, I'm not going to put a number on that. Um, I think, like I said, the king's in, uh, in good shape, but he'd be in a lot better shape um, if, uh, if he did more on, um, you know, to help improve the economy. Uh, he is trying. Uh, but once again, there are a number of um, structural barriers. There are, it's a, a resource poor um, location. Um, the, the population is relatively well-educated, um, but um, you know, these, are the, these are the key issues for him. Um, I, I, you know, I don't wanna predict, you, know, you can never predict when something's gonna happen, but he, uh, he's got a lot of backing. Thank you. And this question is from Hal. How do Palestinian refugees affect the economy? Well, you know, it, uh, the vast majority of Palestinian refugees and Palestinians in the kingdom have citizenship. Um, this was uh, unique to uh, uh, in the region uh, among Palestinian refugees. Uh, you'll recall um, that Palestinians uh, who went to Lebanon, there are 180,000 of them, give or take, um, they're now, um, were never given citizenship. Um, um, actually, we're never allowed to hold jobs. And so the leading employer of Palestinians in Jordan, in, uh, in Lebanon, are, uh, is UNRWA, which is, you know, basically, um, you know, I've said this, said this before many times, you know, the Lebanese love the Palestinian cause, but they hate Palestinians. They've not been uh, mistreated anywhere like that in the Arab world. Although, you know, we do remember Kuwait when you know, 400,000 Palestinians were thrown out of Kuwait in 1991 after Yasser Arafat supported Saddam and the invasion of Kuwait. Um, these people had no, no rights, no citizenship, et cetera. They were just living there, residents. In Jordan, they have citizenship um, and uh, they are working. Um, they are actually the entrepreneurial class in Jordan. Uh, many of these people who are refugees and refugee camps in Jordan um, it's not like, um, I mean, I've been to um, Jordanian refugee camps, uh, many of them. I've been to refugee camps in Gaza. I've been to re refugee camps in Lebanon. Um, refugee camps in Jordan are by and large cities, right? Um, they don't have walls around them. People come and go as they please. Um, and they work in the local economy, just like everybody else. And uh, our, once, once again, um, highly educated and um, highly motivated and um, are the entrepreneurial class there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, in our last minute here, can you tell us where we can find some more of your work? Yeah, well, so I'm a, I'm a fellow, um, the Taub Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Um, if you go to the website, I've written uh, probably, I don't know, 150 articles on Jordan. I wrote a book on Jordanian-Iraqi relations that'll be on there. Um, uh, but there's, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, uh, 
so yeah, take a take a look. Um, I've also written a number of articles, not about Palestinians, but uh, some about Palestinian refugees um, at uh, Middle East Quarterly, which um, I think you know the website for that. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you, Mr. Schenker, for taking time to speak with us today. It's my pleasure. Sorry about the technical problems. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. For our All viewers right. and listeners, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinars offering email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you. Bye.